0: And we're live everybody welcome listeners viewers from all over this was the fourth episode of the mastery podcast i'm your host master chris malarkey fifth degree black belt in traditional taekwondo and i am joined today by a very special guest super excited to have him on today uh, quite a legend uh, definitely a special treat if you're listening in right now drop whatever you're doing please um and please to, uh, welcome uh my next guest uh before i bring him on uh, and read through all the impressive list of action, I'd like you guys to hit the subscribe or follow button located somewhere on your screen, uh, just so you can get updates on news information uh, upcoming episodes and guests. And you can also visit my website, mastercm.net, to have links to my social media, uh, Instagram, Master Chris Malarkey. Uh, without further ado, um, I'm super blown away to have this next guest here today. Um, He's the ninth, the winner of the 1987 World Taekwondo Championship, He's the first American to defeat a Korean competitor. Um, I'm also joined by the same person who is the William Patterson University Taekwondo Hall of Fame inductee in 1988. Uh, also the 1992 Olympic gold medalist in the middleweight division in Taekwondo, uh, also was a TV star in the WMAC Masters, which I used to watch, joined by many other people, um, as Olympus, uh, star as himself, uh, a former politician, former mayor of Foster City, accomplished musician, Author, father, husband, and I ran out of fingers, sir. I'd like to welcome Grandmaster Herb Perez, eighth degree black belt. Sir,
1: thank you you for having me, and you're way too kind. And uh, (laughs) it's my pleasure to spend some time with you guys. Uh, Thank you for everything as well, and I hope you keep it safe on the East
0: Coast. Yes, sir. How about so? I guess that's really the first thing. How are you doing over there on the West Coast?
1: Well, you can't complain. I mean, we have a great. You know, we're we're fortunate. we live in a nice community, uh, quiet, and, and people try to be relatively safe. Yes, so I think that you know we're in an interesting space these days, and I, I think you just have to recognize the things you have to do to keep safe. And so we're, we're doing that, and we're trying to espouse those values as we uh, do what we can do to stay in our community safely.
0: Absolutely. You're also the owner of Gold Medal. Uh, sent gold medal martial arts centers over there. So you've got seven, not just one location, but several. So uh, talk to me about how COVID sort of impacted um, your ability. to Well, it's
1: a it's a tough time. So it's a tough time for people in the business. It's a tough time for people that um, do martial arts and teach it. And so I think you just have to recognize that you're going to have to um, stay the course. And you've had this opportunity your whole life to be a role model. And now you really have a test. So the test is, You've been talking about it. You've been talking about resilience. You've been talking about staying the course. You've been talking about patience, perseverance, determination. And now you have a real life example that no one could have anticipated to actually do it. Most of us don't have this much pain in our life and uniformly now as a world, we find ourselves in a place where we have this kind of pain in a very complete and worldwide sense. Everybody's been affected. So the question now becomes for us as as martial artists, what do we do and how do we carry ourselves so that people can understand why there's a value to what we do. And if we truly have a value before the pandemic, we'll have one after there will be many of us that don't make it through this, not talking about COVID, but talking more about financially. And there will be those of us that decide to make it through it. And that's the only challenge is that, you know, Oh my gosh, I see a, Big picture of one of my favorite people behind your head.
0: You happen to know that gentleman over there, right? <laughs> one
1: of my favorite people, and uh, I competed <laughs> against a lot of his students. Yes. And uh, I know he wanted them to win. I was fortunate enough to win. Some of my some of my favorite students were his students. Yes. Uh, favorite competitors were his students, and he was always very kind to me. He treated me like a uh, like a younger brother almost, and was uh, very. Hard on me and my friends, but he's always very fair. So I hope Master Kim is doing great.
0: Oh, he's doing. From what I see, he's doing real well. I mean, still able to. I don't know, um, and you could probably attest to this. I don't know many ninth degrees anywhere in general um, that are still active. um, Yeah, in terms of not just he lives
1: it. He lives it. He was fortunate to come from a good lineage. He lives it. He believes in what he taught, and he's he serves as a role model for uh, a lot of people. So I think it's great that he's still believes in what he says. There are many people that do what we do. They don't really uh, live it. They don't believe it and they don't act it. He's one of those few individuals that does do that. So
0: what's, what do you, that's a great uh, segue into one of the questions I had for you, one of the many. Um, But I was thinking about um, what our impact really is, what our job really is especially at this particular time when it comes to teaching because the role is sort of changed we have to we, yes we were role models before but now we have to really step it up I like that that you mentioned that it's a test because I that's what I kind of see it as um being an instructor I, th- I
1: think it's an interesting time for all of us as individuals but I think it's interesting for us as um it's an so first most journeys should be inner and inwardly facing so you as an individual have to make a decision um what it is that you feel about yourself what what is it when you go to bed at night that you really think and say about yourself so that first and foremost the ability to be self-reflective and think about what you think matters because you're the really you know the truth regardless of what you may say to people around you towards that end um this is a unique time for us to really test our metal, M-E-D-D-L-E metal, right. or M-E-T-T-L-E, but the uh, M-E-T-T-L-E. And, right. and what I mean by that is we've been talking and saying this for so long. So our job really now is martial arts is the one thing that you do that combines both mental, physical, and what they say, spiritual, chung shing nulil, which means... Not spirit and religious sense, but spirit in the way you carry yourself and how you persevere and your tenacity. Right. So if you believe that internally and you've come through tougher times, and um, I'm sure you have, as most of us have, yes. then you know that you'll see the light at the other side of the tunnel. With that said, everyone around you who's been coming to your school or per- you've personally trained or believes what you've been teaching is waiting to see what you do. Yes. And in waiting to see how you handle it and what you do, they will make decisions about you consciously or subconsciously about the value of what you teach, what you said you teach and what you do. So in that sense, it's an amazing test internally and in a self-reflective sense. And then it is really a test for your community. Are you really who you said you are? So a kid goes to soccer. He expects the soccer coach. Um, to kick the ball well he's not looking for the soccer coach to be his life coach but he's certainly looking for him to be a good soccer coach Absolutely. we are one of the unique things where we are a teacher um much as a teacher a good school teacher in school will be a role model for the kids and we are a physical expert so they look to us to be both a physical expert and the manifesto those physical skills and in intellectual and philosophical skills and i think that's really going to be the test for a lot of people it's um it's easy to talk about it, and when you do well, it's easy to do what we do. Right. And when you struggle, it's a little harder to do what we do. What you do, but right. when people see to the level that schools are struggling now, yeah. they're not only looking at you and feeling sorry for you, but they're really looking to see what you say and what you do.
0: Absolutely, and see if those two, that those two things align, right? That's yeah, very important. Or you've just
1: been you're 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 a charlatan. So right. it's been tough. I mean, it's been March now; will be a year. Yes, And most people were closed for all of that or some of that or in some form or fashion. Right. What's been interesting, I think, more importantly, has been the people that stay and the people that left. So when you look at your membership and you look at the people that chose to stay with you and why they stayed with you and what they did for you while you were struggling, it will speak volumes about what you taught them. It'll speak volumes about who they are. Right. And it'll speak volumes about the level so that they tried to support you. I have a friend who has a restaurant and he had people sending him checks without even coming to eat because he said they wanted to see me survive and they value wow. the time they spent here. I don't think there are a lot of martial arts schools that that happens to. I yeah. think that most of them, you know, they. it's interesting. You know, I had this conversation with somebody else today. We spend more time being who we are, doing what we do than a doctor spends becoming a doctor. I've been doing martial arts since I'm nine. I've spent till 61 becoming what I consider to be better at it. And I've done professional development that whole time. And doctors don't do the amount of professional development that I've done. Um, If we allow ourselves to be treated less than that, and we act less than that, that's how we'll be treated. So for me, this has been an awakening moment to think about who I want to teach, what I want to teach them, and quite frankly, how I want want to let myself be treated. So you know, too often we allow ourselves to be utilized rather than um, do what we do, which is truly mentor and, and hold people to higher standards.
0: Absolutely. Now, speaking of community there, you were the former mayor of Foster City. So you guys also you gave back quite a bit in so many different ways, not just with your type one but you're also there in a capacity to... Uh, you know, really guide people off the mat, um, which is, which is really tremendous. Can you talk about a little bit about um, what, how you, I guess, what your path was from Taekwondo to politics and whether that was linear or not? Cause I, I found well, that. It was,
1: it was an interesting time to be an elected official. So, you know, when yeah. I was in my community, I had been on the board of directors um, of the Olympic committee and I had been on the uh, executive committee of both the Olympic committee, USA Taekwondo, and i have run a bunch of nonprofit stuff. And then my postgraduate degree was in nonprofit organizational management um, from the University of Lyon in France that was paid for by the IOC and the Olympic Council of Asia. I had a scholarship. Wow. Um, in learning all those skill sets, I think it's important to utilize your skill set when given an opportunity. And so I was approached by the then mayor to join the council and asked me to run. And so I ran um, because I had a skill set and I looked at who was running it. And I thought I could help them, guide them in a better path to serve the community better. So it was an interesting time to join. And I was able to give back and do a lot. We raised, even before that, our business donated um, a lot of money to the city in terms of cash, and then a lot of money to various organizations over the 14-year period. And we donated almost a half a million dollars back to the community and then raised another $1.5 million for the schools. So in being a role model and being an actor in that, that's what we thought was important. Over the past four years, it was interesting because we found ourselves, or at least I found myself and certain other council members, uh, be under attack by certain members of the community based on their political uh, agendas. I did see that. I heard something. yeah, Yeah, and I'm okay with that. That's life. You know, that's the nature of the game. And so my position was, had always been, I do what I do, I do it the right way, and I do it with character and dignity. At the point where people don't appreciate that, I'll do something else. I don't, you know, I. and the, the best advice I ever got was from an Olympic friend of mine who was on a committee with me. And he said, when you value service, you have to first value it in this way. You have to ask yourself, are you getting more for the relationship or is the or is the organization getting more? Right. And if you find yourself that you're getting more, then you need to leave. If the organization's getting more, you stay. So for me, I can proudly say that the organization always got more than I did. Right. I donated all the money back that I made from the city back to the city. So at the point where you have to suffer um, the individuals, a uh, small group of vocal individuals in your community, you know, uh, it's time to move on. It, you know, I, I have more productive things to do in my life than to deal with negativity. Right. So I was fortunate enough to serve eight and a half years. I was termed out. And so I decided to move on. I'm now the um, commissioner for ethics in the uh, Association of National Olympic Committees um, in Lausanne, France. And uh, wow. the. Uh, so I've been fortunate I was selected elected to that position and I'm dealing with a very passionate group of individuals and overseeing their ethics and their ethics compliance and I think that's an amazing opportunity. I like to grow and so I I had done, you know, my city was a big city but it wasn't as, you know, the Olympic Committee's budget was $400 million, I always saw that, our budget was $50 million so, you know, in a a weird way it was a smaller thing but small town politics are challenging. Yeah. You know, and I'm not one to um, I'm not one to uh, acquiesce to the masses. I'd rather do what's right than do what's expedient.
0: Right. I, I, I definitely that's a tremendous um, story that I don't know if I could ever get into politics uh, from type one. <laughs>
1: it's a you know, it's a you got to do it. It's yeah. a It's a it's a calling. And what people always say that talk about this, they say it's a calling. So don't get you know, don't be upset at it. Right. So when I used to think about it, I would get, you know, I'd be like, oh, man, this is tough. And, right. you know, there are things about it I didn't like. Like, you'd have to listen to people that just were lying or right. whatever. And the guy's like, you know, it's politics. It's part right. of the game. Right. And so, um, you know, in that street adage, don't hate the player, hate the game. You know,
0: <laughs> I like that quote, sir. Yeah. Nice.
1: So, you know, and that's reality. So I, I didn't, you know, I just didn't suffer fools. If a guy came up and lied, you know, I treated him like he should be treated. Right. You know, if he was lying, he's a liar. You know, that's not, not any, you can try to help educate people. Right. But at that moment, you know, it's an interesting place because I'm used to dealing with, you know, my, my world, which I'm the king of our world, right. My right. Taekwondo instructor, right. martial art instructor is the king of his world in his world. Right. In um, my house, I have children. I raise my children. Yes. When it comes to the city, you really have to, you have to do it differently if you want to be productive and, so that's why I had been approached to run for larger things, larger, bigger offices in the, on, in the like a national sense. Right. And I didn't, I just can't do it. It's not my nature.
0: Did you apply any of what you learned, um, I guess, in your Taekwondo over the course in the span of your Taekwondo career leading up to politics? Was, was there any part of how you um, personally uh, operated in the political state that kind of came Flushed out of your Taekwondo or you looked back and was like, yeah, I kind of, I used this aspect or, you know, I think
1: I, you use your education and your law, my law degree a lot more. I think one of the challenges was most of the electric fi- elected officials with the exception of a few weren't that bright okay. and they weren't clear thinkers um, in small politics. I had a very good colleague that I had a lot of respect for. that was incredibly bright. And he and I worked together and nurtured a couple of others. But in a large part, you're dealing with um, individuals that are just, they may be passionate about service because they don't like the ways the trees were cut. So they try to get on the city council. <laughs> yeah. or they might have their own personal agenda, which is in part, you know, quite frankly, in California, a little sometimes racist. Okay. You know, they get, they get crazy about the fact that there are a lot of uh, Asians, West Asians, East Asians, right. or uh, Asians in the community and they say things um, that are not really nice to say. So I didn't really tolerate that. What I would do with my legal background is um, I was able to analyze and listen and be very effective. When I was mayor, I created structures that they had never had before. I hired two city managers and corrected a lot of the uh, bad practices they had before that they didn't even understand. Um, on the other side of it, I probably could have been more patient with certain individuals, <laughs> but, um, I, I held everybody, all five council members to the same standard. Right. So I felt if you had run for council, right. you should be up to the task, do your work, do your reading, be prepared. Right. And we had two or three individuals that shouldn't have been on the council. They were not prepared. They were not ethical. So in each one of those situations, the guy who was unethical, I reported them to the DA the guy who shouldn't be on the council, I held him accountable. He's playing crosswords during the meetings, you know. Right. And then the other guy was—I'm uh, not sure why he was on the council. But the good news is, two out of the three were no longer on the council. They decided not to run any longer because they couldn't run fast enough. The third one, um, ironically, the unethical one, is still there. But my term it ended, so he's no longer my problem. It's just a shame because he's a—he's uh, not a—he's not a great
0: public servant gotcha gotcha I have one question for you and I was thinking about this before I hopped on the call with you is there do you see a future nearby where because obviously I've been practicing martial arts for about 28 years now um and I love it's been like you know as soon as I was I think one of your your show when you were on WMAC Masters as Olympus and we'll get into that um at some point but uh when I watched that when I watched that show that was one of the things where I was like I maybe it just started and I was like I didn't even know martial arts could be this popular, like this cool, it was on Fox um, on Saturday, Saturday morning, because that was one of my Saturday morning things. But um, is there a future that you could see um, Taekwondo being integrated or martial arts being integrated into the school systems, like through PE, like man, almost mandatory. I feel like it's, I feel like it's so helpful what we do. Um, and especially at this particular time for the mental health of kids. So I feel like maybe coming out of this, that might be something that, you know, we, we revisit or reevaluate.
1: But I think that each individual, you know, I think people have legacies and things they'd like to do. And I've been thinking a lot about the legacy I'd like to leave behind. Yes. One of the things that I think is interesting, there was Rusty Konakova, who was a woman judo player out of New York and she had put judo in 17 of the public schools there and she was fairly successful. And there are individuals around the country who have been successful. The challenge with public school and public school funding right now is that public schools um, are math and science laboratories. So they pretty much don't really give a lot of money to humanities or arts or anything else, even quite frankly, physical fitness. When I was going to school, we had um, physical fitness every day. Right. Now kids are only getting 10 minutes a day. That's literally what they, they are required to by law to get. So one of the challenges is changing the priority of the government so that they understand the value of martial arts potentially, and maybe as a physical activity. The second is the perception that it's, um, and a lot of this fault lies with martial arts in general, is that it is not anything really other than thuggery. And we're not helped by the most popular thing right now with martial arts is UFC. Mm -hmm. And that's, thuggery you know these are guys with tattoos and oil and drugs and cursing and you know bravado and that's not to say they're not amazing martial artists or amazing physically conditioned athletes because they are and they're amazing they could be better role models but so could the football players the basketball players and the guys in professional sport and um, you know one of my favorite quotes by charge Charles Barkley was He's like, I'm not a role model, you know, so don't look to me for that. And I'm like, you're, you are a role model. Once you take that level of um, notoriety and you take the shoe contract for millions of dollars on the basketball contract, you're a role model. You don't have to like it. I'm a role model. I don't do certain things. I don't act a certain way because I've accepted that role. Now, if you don't want to be a role model, then don't do it at that level. But if you're going to be influential to kids, whether it's by choice or circumstance, then you have to. So I think that, um, unfortunately, I don't see any concerted effort, and in a a large part, because most martial arts in general can't get along with each other, let alone provide a unified front, like Korea does. Korea has martial arts in schools. Uh, China has martial arts throughout school. I think Japanese do. But even then, they're just doing it at some base level level. and I think it, then the onus falls on individuals and individual school owners to nexus with the community right. to try to figure out what the best way is to make that goal happen.
0: Gotcha. All right. So it seems, seems like a more complicated, I knew it would be more complicated than just that. Just- it, do-
1: it doesn't have to be, but it would have to be done in the best way from a top-down perspective. When you had last term, you had a person in office who had a person in the education department that didn't understand education and gutted all the programs. So, you know, when you have DeVos not, and I didn't disagree um, with one aspect, which was, it should have been, there should be a voucher program for kids that want to go to private school. So if you want to opt out of public school and you want to take that money and go to private school, I think that's a great idea, but they, you know, it affects the, their thing was it affects everybody across the board. But I think that was a good idea. Everything else was horrible, but right. you know, that wasn't bad.
0: Gotcha. Well, let's, can you walk us way back, take us way back to like, when you first started um, out in the martial arts, what got you into Taekwondo specifically or into the martial arts world specifically? At that, at-
1: I, I had read a book called The Son of the Flying Tiger. And it was, I think it was pretty much a knockoff of the Bruce Lee Enter the Dragon story. Gotcha. It had very similar aspects. The Taekwondo character in it though, was this amazing athlete. He didn't win the tournament, but he was this physical manifestation of what I thought was important in martial arts. And um, I gravitated to that idea. I was a New York City kid and as a New York City kid, you know, I was in, um, you know, know, the hood. And I was on a daily basis having to defend myself or fight and I didn't necessarily like fighting. Right. And then um, I decided my combination of um, reading Bruce Tegner books, which were <laughs> self-defense, karate books. And then I found a um, Taekwondo sign about this big in Hoboken, New Jersey, when I moved there. Gotcha. And, That's where I'm at now. <laughs> yeah. And I walked up 3rd in Washington to a ballet school that used to be on the floor. And there was an individual teaching there. It was Master Kim, ki Chun Kim student. He looked at me and said, You're too short, you'll never be any good. You're not flexible. Wow. And I was like, Oh, thank you, sir. I'm nine. <laughs> I said, Well, your mom has to, your mom has to sign you up. And so I said, She's downstairs. And I went down and I signed myself up and used my paper route money because I want to be able to defend myself. And I went back up and, you know, swung my leg on a ballet bar for 45 minutes. And then the end of class came and he said, Line up for sparring. And I was like, Huh? <laughs> See? Yeah. And so I lined up and had a spar and I survived and that was a tough school and out of um you know the hundreds of guys that walked in 20 stayed and yeah. of the 20 that stayed five became national champ you know the the story is what the story is and it was a test by fire it wasn't a whole lot of um, explanation there was technical explanation but there wasn't explanation on how to survive how to how to thrive right and how to be part of the the family you just learned it as you went right and um you know i'm still i have a lot of respect for him still friends with my american instructor and then one of my seniors and then my um instructor passed away but my kung fu instructor is still around but they shaped me as an individual to become who i became and guided me along the path to eventually win an Olympic gold
0: medal. So I can't really complain at all. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a tremendous yeah. feat, man. that's a tremendous feat.
1: Well, it's an old so Korean saying, you know, it goes, if I, if I give you the disease, but I give you the cure, you know, what are you going to say? You know? Right. And my friend used to say this to me because I complain about, you know, all this stuff that was being going on. He'd be like, yeah, but he did this and he did this, you know? Yeah. But I said, but he shouldn't do this. He said, yeah, but he did this and this. And in a weird way, he's right. You know, you got to balance the positive and the negative.
0: Right. It's always about that. I think. Right. Um, yeah. What's the, what's been you, so you've kind of had a really unique perspective of most of the guests that I've had on really, because you've also been able to see, a longer arc of the spectrum of the evolution of Taekwondo and martial arts as well. Like talking about the kind of the old school as people would put it in quotation marks, right? Now, right back then I started in the nineties when I was probably five or six, early nineties. Right. Um, and st- obviously still continue to this day. Um, I actually just talked earlier this evening, but um, what is the difference? What is the, What are some of the bigger biggest differences you see in the way Taekwondo has changed uh, from then to now? And, and, and second, what does, do martial arts really need to go through an evolution um, to kind of stay?
1: I think you have to to rethink where where we are, what we're doing, why we do it. So I've been a proponent of this for a long time. When I started to teach and I never wanted to teach because I didn't think I was good, um, I decided I wanted to modernize what it meant to be a black belt. So we spent all this time, for example, learning to hit things and fight, yet we're told all the time not to fight. Right. So we pretty much spend our entire career fighting and kicking stuff and then say never kick anything. An right. instructor would always say that, right? Yeah, And then, um, so I think really right now, I think about my children who have never had a fight, nor will they probably ever have to. And what are the skills that would be better for them as black girls? So I think we first need to rethink where we are and what's necessary to be a black belt for the future. So when I was coming up, you know, it was a tough guy contest. You pretty much went to a martial arts school. The guys who came before my generation, they were tough guys to start. They were truly tough guys. They were just trying to learn how to be tougher or be better fighters. My generation of guys was that generation of guys who wanted not to be beat up, and they were using it as a, not life skill development, but as a a real way to survive the world. And then the generation after us is where kids came in to be better people. Parents brought them in because they wanted them to be better people so the tough guy the tough guy thing it kind of left the building and now we are in a place where we're looking at children should learn conflict resolution they should learn physical fitness they should learn philosophy yes of of ethics of how to behave of morals why to behave that way and what does it manifest itself to And in a long and in a short way, I think martial arts is um, religion. I I, I don't mean being religious, but I mean, we teach the same things that they teach in church. We teach brotherhood, we teach the golden rule. We teach all those things that it means just to be a good human. So the martial arts student, when they become a black belt should have a basis in art and humanity and in physical fitness. So they are truly a platonic man in the sense of the Republic. They should have some physical component, some educational component, some philosophical, some art or music component. And so I've always lived my life. You know, you look behind me, I have music in my life. I I was a philosophy undergraduate. I have um, a couple of, followed my education, was able to do the degrees I wanted to do I've been a businessman i've been a warrior and i've been a public servant so i'm kind of um out of stuff to do yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so now i'm a mentor to my children and, and people around me trying to serve as an example of what's possible if you put your mind to it
0: absolutely it's like there's almost like you don't have i mean how many hours do you have to i mean to be an olympic gold medalist though what's the what's the reality of the cost of the sacrifices i always talk to people about this all the time there's Always a sacrifice involved when there's a goal that you're trying to hit. So you just, it's a matter of choosing what that sacrifice is, in my opinion. So what is the reality of the sacrifice at, at that high level to be on that platform and with the number one underneath you? Uh, what did you have to do in order to get there and, and transitioning from just being a student, kicking around, swinging your leg on the bar to now knocking people out, you know, for, for a living?
1: Well, I, I think the reality is that you, you know, to do anything at a level of excellence, Above and beyond everybody else is, um, means you have to sacrifice different parts of your life. So for me, I wasn't able to graduate college in four years. It took me 11 years. Right. Law school, you know, I went to and I took me longer than I should in law school. So you have to put everything else. I was training six to eight hours a day. I was traveling six to seven months out of the year. I was living in Korea two to three months every year to train. And I was taking all my financial, um, capabilities and money and and stuff and applying it to taekwondo so you sacrifice your friendships you sacrifice your money you you sacrifice your education for a period of time and then the question is you pick up your life when you're done so i picked up my life uh, when i was 32 to start actually doing things that i probably should have been done with by 22
0: right so (laughs) um,
1: that's okay because the richness of my life experience was Um, increased and modified by my Olympic experience and the Olympic experience gave me, um, it's why something like COVID is interesting because I've seen darker times. I mean, this is a dark time for everyone, but individually, you know, there were times when I was training where I didn't have enough money to pay my car payment. You know, I was $27 short. I had times where I only had peanut butter in my closet and no bread. Yeah. I had times where I'd come back from Korea and I'd owe $10,000 on an American Express bill and I wasn't making $10,000 a year. Right. So um, I've been in darker times. You know, I've had those phone calls when I came home and my creditors would call me and they'd be like, so when are you going to pay? Right. I'm like, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? <laughs> I have no idea. I'll pay when I can and I will pay. Right. Well, I said, well, what are you going to do? You know, so I'm like, you know, they're like, I'm like, well, it was nice talking to you. Talk to you next month. You know, but it, you, when you have that kind of freedom, because you've had darker experiences, no promise of an outcome, by the way. Right. You know, it, it's an interesting time. So I think that everybody around us has to remember that and be more patient. Um, because the reality is we have a lot of people around us that are struggling. We have a lot of people that are not struggling. We have people that are not struggling yet, but will struggle. So it doesn't really matter where you sit in the world. You might be okay right now. You might still be working. You might have a job, but yeah. this is going to affect everybody's economy. So right. sacrifice, is, sacrifice is universal. Sacrifice <laughs> is impactful. and But more importantly, you have no idea what the impact is till it happens.
0: Absolutely. I, I would tend to agree with that. What's the what's the what training like specifically? Because I know we have a lot of listeners that are martial artists that are tuning in right now. So what what was the training like uh, back then? I know you said six to eight hours a day, and I sometimes that's hard for people to wrap their minds around because that's a that's almost a third of it. It's about a third of the day, um, physically active. So obviously. the Olympic
1: the Olympic committee had changed the way you should train because they had sports over training a long time ago. So they had water polo guys literally in the pool for three hours without touching the side of the pool, Um, for an example. So they came up with a program that said you shouldn't train any more than an hour and a half at a time and you should only train twice a day at most. Unfortunately for me, there was an information (laughs) gap that I was trying to overcome. Koreans were doing the sport at a high level from five years old. I didn't get exposed to the true level of Olympic taekwondo until I was 20... I mean, I did it here at an Olympic style pretty much my whole life. But then to go to Korea and see what they were doing, actually doing, and then realizing what I needed to do was when I was in 24. And so at 24, I had to redo my entire method of training, my method of learning, my method of technique. And so I was doing six to eight hours a day because I needed to. And I was doing six to eight, I was doing six to seven days a week. I had a I lost so much weight that I had to drink um, these calorie drinks that they give to old people, uh,
0: so that they Ensure
1: or Infamil or whatever. Yeah, yeah I know. What you know I talking was about. drinking this stuff just to be able to survive because I couldn't eat. Right, I was losing so much weight. So that level of training and sacrifice. I mean, I couldn't. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd put my feet on the floor, and they would hurt for five minutes before I could walk wow. to get to my practice. Right, I was stretching. A half hour before each practice and i was practicing for a couple of hours and i was training early in the morning all the way till eight or ten o'clock at night just to be able to get all my training in right. there would be times i would sleep in the school because i didn't want to wake up early enough to go to you. school the next day yeah and so i'd rather just stay it just made more sense to stay one of my favorite instructors and the person responsible for my olympic success was sifu visio and he said you know we're going to change our training this year so that you win. And I said, okay, he says, we have to do something different. So I said, yes, sir, what is it? And he said, um, we're gonna start training at 3.30. Um, so I said- AM? Well, I, I, didn't, I go at 3.30. I said, sir, I teach at, um, he goes, what's the matter? Mm-hmm. I didn't say anything. I said, well, you know, sir, I teach at, um, at four. Right. He goes, you teach at four in the morning. So he had meant 3.30 in the morning. So I show up at 3.30 in the morning and he had to drive an hour to get there. I show up at 3.30 in the morning. He's already there warmed up. Says, let's go. So the next night, I'm like, I'm going to sleep here because,
0: yeah. Yeah. you know,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'll be here when he gets here. Right. So I remember the look of it on his face when my training partner and I decided we're going to sleep in the gym. Yeah. He gets there we're ready this time as opposed to whatever. Right. But that's what you have to be willing to do. You have to be willing to do whatever is necessary to win. And right. if you're not, the most powerful word in the world and the least powerful world word in the world are different the most least powerful word in the world most disempowering word is the word but so as soon as you say but then yeah. quit because they're going to tell you what's necessary right I was like, guys who come up to me after the olympics and they're like i'll do anything i have to do tell me what i have to do tell me what i have to do so i start to tell them what they have to do and you see it in their eyes and they go but and i go then but you're going to lose Right, you gotta be willing to do what's necessary.
0: Right, that's crazy. So it's so when you got when you actually won the Olympic gold medal, what was the what was the euphoria that overcame you? I mean, I guess you could even go just a couple of minutes back before that, like winning the match. What was that like? Just overcoming that and knowing that you won, and then you know all your training had paid off up to that point. No, I I won
1: I won I won a bunch of stuff, so yeah. I wasn't. Um, I was always surprised that, that it wasn't really ever a big thing when I won. I always thought it would feel differently. Like I beat the it's, Korean yeah. in 87 and it wasn't a big thing. I called my instructor and he was like, good. I, said, no, you I won. He goes, no, good. Right. I said, no, sorry. beat the Korean in the final. He goes, good. I'll see you when you get home. That was it.
0: That was so it. So When yeah. I
1: won the Olympics, it was the first time truly that I felt um, joy, like true like crying joy because I all of a sudden through my mind went uh, a whirlwind of pictures of people that had helped me, supported me, sacrificed my mother, my instructors, all the people that had made it possible, all the sacrifice, all the mistakes, all the, everything came through. So it was honestly the first time that I can recall that it was very uh, unique, fulfilling and overwhelming. And in fact, for the longest time, I couldn't watch the Olympic ceremony without crying of anyone, (laughs) including myself. (laughs) So I was doing all these speaking engagements and I couldn't watch it because I would, I would relive relive that moment. And even these days, maybe once in a while, I get that feeling. Um, But it's, you know, people that are like that, it's, it depends on the level of sacrifice. So if you've, given everything that you have to make that moment happen. And then it happens, right. You know, it's relief, it's satisfaction, it's vindication, it's joy, it's sadness. Cause you know, it's over.
0: Right. Did you have any desire to compete after that for, for like another medal go again? Or did like, kind of like that high sort of be like, All right, I'm good. I did what I came here to do and you can move on. to but the next. Luckily
1: I got good advice. So a couple of things happened right before I went to the Olympics, I got accepted to Rutgers law school. That's right. So I had been selected, I had won the Olympic trials, I was going to the Olympics, I was training, and then shortly thereafter, I got my um, acceptance letter to, to law school. And um, that was, I cried when I got that because I just was, I couldn't believe that I was gonna get to go. Yeah. And um, my instructor, when I won, he. I thought about fighting in Madison Square Garden because the world championships were gonna be there yeah. in 1993. And my instructor told me to retire. And I said, why? And he said, because you've won the biggest thing you could ever win. Even if you win another one or you win a world championship, it won't mean as much. In addition to that, you'll, you've lost all that fire that puts you in that place. And um, if you win, it won't make any difference. If you lose, it'll be, it'll speak volume. Understood. Understood. And so I didn't compete and I, my student Uh, my student, I sent my, my student, I trained him to win. So he went to the world championships and, and won, not won the world championships, but went to the U S team. I had three students on the U S team. So I was always able to transition into the next stage, which was good and good advice. So I've always been able easily to achieve a goal, move to the next goal and move up in the, into what should be the natural evolution too often people hold on to things because that's all they know that's all they can be they're afraid to fail at something else right rather they'd rather be successful in what they do um and quite honestly even if i had won the following year which i probably would have won it really wouldn't have made a difference to anyone except me which was you know which would have been nice but i've watched too many guys hold on too long gotcha and um you know, as a result, they're not happy. Or, But if you love the game, then you fight. You don't really care about the winning and losing.
0: Right. You, you see it all the time. The people game. just go too, go too long when they fight. Or they have, they have, they have Roy Jones Jr.,
1: man. Roy yeah, I, Jones Jr. There's yeah, nobody I, better than that guy. The guy was untouchable. He fought too, too many fights. But, right. you know, and Conor McGregor is probably another example of that. Um,
0: right. Yes. Yeah, you great. know,
1: and these guys always fight longer than they probably – I don't want to say long. They, they have to make that personal decision. They're great athletes. Right. But you got to you gotta do what you got to do. It's not really about winning and going out on top. You got to go out the way you want to go out. I had won everything I wanted to win. Right. And I won it a bunch. I won Madison Square Garden. I won the World's, won the Pan Ams, won the Pan Am Games. First one ever. And won uh, the Olympics that's a whole lot of winning
0: right <laughs> you know? <That's> a lot. <laughs> So i had
1: also lost a few right and so i had a whole i had some losses too that i didn't really love but right you know i've been able to enjoy the, the beauty of competition both winning and losing learn lessons from both yeah. and i'm able to share those lessons with people that are trying to do it so they can understand what it is we do why we do it and how to apply it in other areas of your life
0: gotcha that's awesome And what was the, I guess, now going moving forward after your your TV career was after, I guess, your Olympic... uh, I didn't
1: want to do that. Yeah. So what happened was I got approached by, um, I was approached by two groups. So right after the Olympics, an agent called me while I was in the Olympics and he wanted to meet with me. So I met with him when I came home. I was offered a um, television show called Acapulco Heat. I was offered a movie called mortal Kombat. like ah, i also talked for it yeah. i didn't it was a different thing okay and i was offered um i was offered the ufc number one ah, so they wow. offered me to fight in ufc number one and i said i was in law school at the time and i said how much money and they said well it's ten thousand i said how much if i win they said no that's if you win i said Are you crazy? I'm like the Olympic gold gold medalist. I'm not going to fight. So they eventually came up to some amount, and I was like, it still wasn't enough. And then after watching it, luckily I didn't fight because it was a circus. I commentated the second one.
0: Ah,
1: Um, At the same time, I was offered a TV show over Christmas, WMAC Masters, and then um, they changed the shooting schedule. And so I had freed up all my time and then they didn't do it well they didn't do it with me they didn't do the pilot with me then i got a call to do the show and i said no i'm not doing it they said what i said no i don't have any interest i'm in law school take off they said please come meet with us i said no i'm not coming and they said just come come have lunch we'll talk so i met the producer the director and the uh art art designer and uh after four hours you know they said well I said, you know, I'm in law school. I don't need this. You know, I got other stuff going on. And and they're like, well, you know, we're going to make an action figure. I said, action figure. (laughs) So I I was like, all right. So I did it over the summer. And then I did a couple of seasons and it was a blast. And it was so much fun. I'm glad that I did it. It was really a unique experience. But the good news was it taught me that to be an actor is a very certain skill set. And it's a craft, but it's also very subjective. Yes. So when I fight, I go into the ring, and I fight. I can win. I can affect your performance. Acting, they like you, they don't like you, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go through all that. But um, I was fortunate that I did the TV show. I was smart enough not to do anything else. Most of my friends <laughs> and my colleagues that were on the show with me. They did okay. They were in Mortal Kombat. They were in Batman. They were stunt people. But none of them became the next Chuck Norris. And, you know, there's one martial artist a generation, if you're lucky. You had um, Bruce Lee. You had Sonny Chiba before him. You had Shiro Miyafuni, probably. You had um, Dolph Lundgren for a little bit. You had Sylvester Stallone, Chuck Norris. You had. Out the Costco's kids, Mark the Costco's kid could have had a nice career. Yep. And now you have Statham. But if you really think about it, iconic martial arts pure. If you start with Bruce Lee, you had Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal, Jean Claude
0: Van Damme, and Jim Kelly was in there too. Jim Kelly. Jim. Jim yeah,
1: Jim Kelly. You had anybody that came out of Enter the Dragon. You had. um Who's this cat the, the latest guy you have um oh jet you know jet lee jackie chan um jackie chan was older by the time he became famous here but he got famous right. but that's it there's not like there's 20 martial art guys that are going to become right. iconic right. and in true level of iconic status really you just have bruce lee and chuck norris right these are two guys that made you know impacts on us that wow. were on un- Chuck Norris was the first Rambo. Right. Chuck Norris was the first. Yeah. He was the first everything. Right. 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 And um, you know he really figured it out. Um, and Bruce Lee was truly the first Elvis style level. You know level of fame
0: and in philosophy. Because I, I was reading his book, yeah. uh, "Striking Thoughts," later on, which is really just notes. He never really compiled a book per se. Yeah. Um, just the notes, and I, I have a signed copy of uh, this new book called "Be Water" by his daughter, yeah. um, and it's just tremendous. I mean, because she's living her life, lived most of her life, um, if not mo- you know all of it, pretty much through the leftover writings from him. Um, yeah, which is, is really, I find that fascinating that she's able to do that. Um, with I, I guess that speaks to um, his profound sort of philosophical nature because there's so much. I still reference that book yeah oh, you know there
1: are individuals that have an impact on people because they either inspire them to some great degree sure um you know i'm reading president obama's book and yes. when you read his book this was an individual that inspired many of this generation including me right. um to a level that you can't even really understand yeah and so towards that end you know you got to know that and that, that's unique, that's either the way you carry yourself, what you say, or just you as an individual. People on that level of icon, you know, Bruce Lee was very unique, other actors in that level, you know, you got guys that are just amazing. Johnny Depp is an amazing actor, Anthony Hopkins, amazing actors. Yeah. In the martial arts, you know, you're a guy that kicks and punches, you know, that, the cat from Thailand, I can't remember his name, Tony John, um, bat the guy who does Um. Tony John,
0: ja, yeah, yeah, with all the Muay tie and everything. Yeah, so, you know,
1: that's a, that guy's doing some amazing stuff. This kid now, um, Scott Atkins, right? He's yes. doing some amazing stuff. Yes. But, you know, that's all physical skills. Right. Truly, to act, that's an interesting. It's an interesting profession. Gotcha. I, I really find it fascinating.
0: Did you, um, did you form any like long lasting friendships with anyone off the set? Or? All of them,
1: all of them, all of them, guys, all of, we still stay in touch. I've got, I think a zoom call this weekend to honor one of our friends. That's uh, they, they have him on a podcast. We're going to surprise him. I don't want to say his name. Gotcha. I won't be surprised, but, <laughs> but um, I'm friends with all of them. When I moved out this way, a handful of them were up this way. So I still kind of talk to them, um, but they're all great guys. I mean, you know, they're, each individual, we had this, if you really think about it, it was the first time ever that a group of martial artists from disparate backgrounds was put together in a thing like that, where you yep. had literally the best of different worlds. Right. The guys that I was on that show with were amazing performers who had been on Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers, Mortal Kombat, Right. they were the top of their game in the in that area you know, I was the top of my game in my area right. and we had courted other guys um, that were at the top of their game and then there were a lot of guys who didn't make the cut that should have maybe but they weren't um and so we you know we were we were in a unique team in a unique place and had a unique opportunity it's unfortunate that it was short-lived because it could have had a legacy that transcended itself
0: but right. well, I think it left I think to your point However, just growing up at some as someone who watched it, um, I think, and I speak for a lot of other people, like I said, that when I told them I was going to be speaking to you, they were like, yo, that's Olympus. Like, I was like, they were curious uh-huh. to know, uh-huh. they, remember, they remember you as that, but you know, it's speaking- that's of, funny. But speaking of what you said, it was, I remember being glued in on, that was what captured me was movement. Um, and, and watching that happen, watching the stunts and the choreography and you couldn't fake what was happening there. These, I, these are real martial arts. I, my, I, I had thoughts about the. Yeah, rest of
1: you. I, had, I had the best teachers back then, you know there were these two guys, Eric Betts and he and the Gwen. they've both been Power Rangers. Um, and uh, Eric's son now is in television and he is teaching again. But they helped me learn how to do what we called Hollywood kung Fu. And it was really, um, it's a unique skill set of, you know, there were guys that when we fought, we fought for real. Hakeem Alston and I, when we fought, yeah, that was hard. That's real. That's hard. Real. There were okay. other guys that was acting and whatever. But yeah. Hakeem and I had a scene together where, you know, we were bruised and battered at the end of it, you know. And uh, it, was a, it was a unique opportunity because it was a great learning moment for me. And it was great guys and great women and great, production teams of guys that you just couldn't have imagined putting that together so I'm forever thankful Um, I started a production company with one of the directors and we're still friends to this day and his son and my son are friends and we still do a bunch of work together
0: that's awesome that's awesome now from that background I guess moving even more forward do you think and kind of going back into like the pure martial arts sense um, do you think that it's important to uh, cross pollinate or synthesize other martial arts forms? Is it, is it more about now? Grandmaster Ken, my teacher, he would always say, and I, asked, I always ask um, like top people this or people that are in positions to, to instruct me, uh, particularly him though. And I asked him, you know, is it, is it really about the style when you put styles together? That's kind of seems what the general public, you know, the UFC sort of follows like styles make fights, that kind of thing. So it was always. In my in my mind, is it more about the practitioner and how it's done, or is it about what's being done? And that's kind of how what it sort of boiled down to for him.
1: I you mean, just have to look at you have to look at the stuff that's going on now. You take a guy like Mike Tyson, yeah, who hits harder than any human being in the world could possibly hit. So if you want to say whether boxing or this is superior, listen, Mike Tyson's Mike Tyson. He transcended his sport. Yeah. In karate, you look at a guy like William Oliver, you know, may rest in peace. He was a guy that transcended that style. Most guys in that style were not problematic for anyone. He was. A guy like Mike Warren for Taekwondo, he transcended the sport. He was Jerry Robbins, another guy transcended the sport. Mark Williams, another guy who transcended the sport. These were all guys who took whatever art they learned and did amazing things with it. Jiu-Jitsu, the Brazilians, and the Gracie family, and a ton of other guys down there, transcended the sport. Jiu-Jitsu was judo a part right. of judo. Right. They took right. it and took it to a different place. So I think it's not, I, th- I think at the end of the day, you practice an art because you want form and structure and you want a set of things and parameters to judge um, the paradigm you operate in. When it comes to fighting, self-defense outside of personal development, right. You do what's effective. So if you really want to look at martial artists, um, you look at guys that are innovating. This guy, Uriah Faber, who used to fight in the UFC, I used to like to watch him because he was an innovator and he created things that other people didn't have. And I see guys, this guy, Dominic Cruz with footwork. Right. They create, they transcend the sport. There's no longer a proper way to throw a technique or a block. There's, mm. If you're really looking at martial art as a warfare thing, you know, you can drop your elbow when you have your hand on somebody. That's right. not a technique, right. but it's a technique. It, it, at the end of the day, you measure technique by its effectiveness and the damage it does it works. and how quickly it ends a fight. Yeah. So um, I don't get caught up in technique much. I don't think it's a valid way to judge the value. Martial art practice is different. So if you're practicing forms, I mean, to be frank, Forms only have a value in and of themselves of the practice of them. If you're doing this, you're never doing this in a fight. You do this in a fight, you can get your arm broken. But you will do this. You'll be like this, and you'll move your hand in that one last portion of a knife hand block. So the applicability of that. But what's more important is that your body's moving in this way. And you know exactly where your body is in time and space. And when you're doing that technique, it doesn't have to make sense. It's dance. Right. Let's be clear. You know this. uh, This whatever this is, I don't don't know. When you push in a guy's face, it it has value only in the sense that you set value for it. Much as Martha Graham's technique in modern dance sets value for this. You know, this there's a certain way to do this that makes it aesthetically more pleasing, or whatever. And the Koreans are the worst at this because every year they change the requirements for the forms one year you go like this the next year you go like this next year you go like this it, it's either it's either a thing that matters and perpetually matters because it's, it's the perfect movement right. or it's not you right. can't just keep changing because you feel like it and then it just becomes an aesthetic
0: well so what's your take on because i practice obviously with, with master Kim most of my life is yeah. based, based in traditional taekwondo and i find I, obviously I'm no Olympic gold medalist, but I found a lot of success and I grew up much like you. I grew up in Brooklyn and New York. Yeah. I got in a lot of fights over, you know, just trying to keep my clothes on, my backpack, my yeah. shit. Hard, it's hard to relate that to people per se. Um, you know, I used to get into fights across the street where like we, we didn't have cell phones, the payphone didn't work at the corner. It's like, it's just you and that other person and what you and however good you are at that moment. So yeah. I found a lot of success personally in the traditional format with Master Kim, where it's allowed me to be able to, just like what you said, yeah, this may not work in a fight, and I know that, and I say that to my students, you know. But it's like it's it's something about the patterns, um, which I'm still trying to figure out, allows you, along with the footwork, allows you to be able to sort of make um, sort of innovations in real time with uh, with a, a self defense scenario. I found, and even but, yeah, the, I mean, I think I think
1: it's each person's value of that is what it is i think there are times you know where you when i was a green belt you know i got into this ruckus uh, when i was working and and some guy tried to hit me with a motorcycle chain belt and i did a high block right because i had practiced on high block a million times right and it was the perfect thing to block a chain belt or a stick or a bat right i got a guy in park avenue in 85th 86th street when i was in the band tried to hit me with a baseball bat Oh, yeah. I did a low block. My arm should have broke. My arm didn't break and I stopped the bat. Right. I did that because I had practiced low block you know, a million times. Now, those are real-life applications of two particular traditional form techniques that I walked up and down the floor and practicing. Right. and they had a value. My first, when I did that high block, I did a walking right. forward lunge punch and knocked the guy out. Right. And, um, well, that was form training. We didn't practice sparring punching in the face I didn't have any face punching ability at all other than what I had learned in form so yeah I think those those I think that's the applicability today I taught a bunch of young ladies preparing to go to college self-defense and I didn't teach some traditional forms I didn't teach some taekwondo anything I taught them a basic kind of round kick and a basic kind of side kick and some other basic um hand motions that I knew anybody could do that were effective. Right. So when it comes to effective and practical and usable, you know, it's better to keep it small, simple, and immediate. Something that you would do reflectively. Ref- reflexively. Right. Um, right. Towards that end, you know, I'm I'm not fascinated. I'm, in, I'm um, encouraged or entertained by Krav Magog. I want to see what their program is. Because I'm looking at different programs that might be helpful for the things that I think that would be better served by others.
0: Gotcha. So,
1: self-defense probably better served by people that teach that in a realistic sense. Um, you know, we have our share of charlatans out here who make faking made-up stuff and you know teach self-defense, and it's not practical. They're just going to get somebody hurt should they ever have to do it. Taekwondo is not as Taekwondo itself is not a self-defense thing. It's a fighting skill. Right. Now, if you've ever fought, it's a very practical fighting skill if you use things that make sense. So I used a lot of what I learned in Taekwondo, and actual self-defense that I know what works and doesn't work. And I know why it works. Right. And I know how to right. make it work. Um, but that's against somebody you're doing self-defense against. Right. Right. So it's not like you're in an arena fighting another Taekwondo guy. Basically, right. when you're doing self-defense, for the most part, you're a guy that's good at it, doing it against a white belt.
0: Right, right. So
1: it really doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it pretty good.
0: Right. Have you had any close calls with any with anyone with, where you, you kind of like had to put, bring your A game with, with somebody in particular? You don't have to mention names, obviously, but I so – You know, mean I'm in, in tournaments
1: too. or in um, – Just
0: really in self-defense scenarios because one of the aspects I always want to explore with people that I, I speak with, and obviously you have a lot of experience, a tremendous amount of experience, is – um, what the applica- what the applicability of in real time is from the training I think it, I
1: think if you know. do I think the good news is where I grew up you know I was able to practice my skills every day. So I would literally I know every day to school I'm doing something else. Right. So I had a lot I learned very quickly what worked and what didn't work and in what I could do and what I couldn't do. And then as I became more skilled um I would try different things. And um, what I learned early on was I didn't know how to punch correctly to the face because we had never practiced. I could punch really well to the body. Right. But when I punched them in the face, nothing happened. So I went back to the gym and learned how to punch people in the face because I thought it was an important skill to have. Right. And so I developed a punch that if I hit you with my right hand, you were going to go, out. Wow. Right. no one survived my right hand. No one in the world would survive my right hand. Um, but I had to train that because I'd never done it. Right. And then I my kicks were always. I was fortunate that in actual competition against skilled competitors, I could knock guys out with my kicks. So I knew I could do that. Yeah. So I, unlike most people, I would kick people in the face when in self defense, right. where they tell you not to do that because it's very high risk. Right. I was. I, I figured if I could kick black belts who were trained in the face with my kicks. I'd have no problem kicking a regular person. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah, so
1: you know, I found ax kicks and back hook kicks and back kicks to the body to be incredibly effective as with round kicks always are to the body. Um, So there are a lot of basic just Taekwondo skills you practice every day that if you do them a round kick to the back of the leg, you know, a guy doesn't, he doesn't get up. You can leave after you do that. Most street fights in my experience last one punch or one kick. Right. that's it I, I never had to hit somebody twice
0: exchange right, um right. and
1: that's what it's supposed to be now when you hit somebody once it should be over right and if right. they come right. again you hit them again and then it should be over and if it's not over then then you're in a fight you're probably going to get hurt
0: right yeah So the so situations um, you're not welcome you're not going up but obviously walking up to someone to try to start it but you know just to clarify for people listening but it's strictly for self-defense purposes somebody you know, i never started
1: i i can say proudly i never started a fight Right. And I tried to avoid most of the ones that I got were started. I would warn people ahead of time. Right. I can say that there was a long period of my life where I didn't walk away from one ever. Right. I never avoided it should that person make a mistake. But then I came to a great realization. And the realization was it wasn't fair. In other words, even though this individual had made a mistake and they had picked the wrong tree yeah. to bark up, right. you know, it really wasn't fair then. And you could tell them that. You know, and so it got to a point where I would warn people. I'd be like, you don't understand. I do this. I do this as a living. I do this for fun.
0: Eat this. So if you Eat really it. want
1: to do this, you know, we can do it. You're not, you can go home or you can go to hospital. That's your choice. Right. So, and I would say it like that matter of factly. I got so comfortable with it. And, you know, they'd look at me and they kind of then realized I was probably telling the truth, but there's always, you know, the truth of the matter is that most guys that are going to bother you back then, or even now they're jerks. They're jerk-offs, and they, they're they troublemakers. A guy who can really fight he does not bother you.
0: Yeah. I, I, a
1: guy I, I, who really can fight, he's got other things going on in life. Uh, he also knows that there's a potential he's going to get hurt. So true tough guys don't fight. I believe that. Um, yeah. I think it's true. i, I got to be honest. I think it's true, and that's why it's really not fair. Yeah. I could take that same energy and make the guy miss. Right. Like a guy could come to my gym, that same guy, and he can't touch me. Right. So was it really fair for me to to do all that? You know, I, I got to a point where I felt bad about it. So I just I just try to avoid conflict. And my instructor would yell at me all the time. He'd be like, I come back and tell him a story and he'd say, you're wrong. And I say, why? He says, you, you know, and I say, sorry, I didn't start. He goes, yeah, but you were you shouldn't have been there. Why were you there? And he was right. You know, when I thought about it, I could have avoided and should have avoided most of it. But your ego. We, is and that's that's our,
0: that's our job, right? Is to basically get people to, you know, keep this, keep this for yourself. And I have I have two boys. One of them's ten, yeah. black belt, um, proudly, and then the other one uh, is a almost a green belt. But um he I, I'm teaching him boxing and just to just to do right. something on the side, I'm experimenting with him and he's got an incredible I wish I had, um I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you wish you had your your current self as your as your yeah. trainer when you were that. Yeah. Um, cause like, yeah. I, I, I kind of base my, I base my effectiveness on my type one not on my fighting capabilities anymore, but on what I'm able to pass on in my teaching. And I think that's what I'm hearing right. from you. Um, so what was like your evolution, I guess, into your now, cause now you have, how many locations do you have for your school?
1: We have, we're opening a, a fourth again. We have, we had four and we had combined one of them. Okay. Um, we're now opening our, a very high level training facility. Nice. Um, but, you know, what I've decided in my new facility is it's going to be very elite, very exclusive, and um, it's an interview and an essay process. So I'm going to interview each family. I'm going to have the child write an essay. And then at the end of the interview and the essay, I'll decide whether I want to accept them as students. And if we accept them as students, we'll make them an offer. They have to, they'll have a day to think about it. Right. Um, to, to accept it. And if they don't accept it, we'll move on to the next person.
0: Gotcha.
1: Um, I want to develop a school where I teach people that I think will value and we will value. And I want that to be exclusive. So if I don't think they have the right mindset, um, then I don't want them as students. I don't want to share my level of knowledge with just anyone any longer. So I've done that for a long time, taught a lot of people and um I want to have people that i i like and I respect and i think will value what we do and so that's our new and latest model it's a very um high-end model it's very um we're not we're not uh ashamed of what we're going to charge people and we're not ashamed of the commitment level. Right. and uh I'm sure it'll be fine <laughs> so and, all you know, of, and, uh, you're,
0: and you're based all on the west coast you know all these all these um locations you're all on the
1: west coast for now and I think i you know I've got I'm realizing I'm old, and I only have a certain amount of time to get a lot of things done that I want to get done. Right. So I'm in the process of, uh, I had written a curriculum for the Olympic committee for our sport and that was done. I want to redo that. I've uh, been, I have written one book for Taekwondo and I'm mm-hmm. working now on an experiential book that I may or may not publish. Um, okay. And then I was trying to figure out what my next legacy was. So I, I had, two projects that I wanted to do. This is a project that I want to do um, in part because I realized I want to teach certain people in a certain way and I want to teach them in the way that I want to do it and I don't want to struggle with it. So I want to pick people that I think will value it. I want to charge them so that I value it. (laughs) And, And I want it to be, you know, my kids go to a nice school. It's a private school. It's crazy uh, expensive and it's exclusive. They get 600 applications for 20 spots. They make choices. And um, my education is better or as good as that. And I want to do the same thing they do. So we'll interview potential clients. We will um, have the children write an essay. If after meeting the child and the parents that we, we like all of that, we think it'll work out, then we'll bring them in. And if we don't, then we won't invite them in. And um, I'll feel better about that experience. And they'll feel better because they know they've been chosen. And they don't get to choose us. We're going to be choosing them. So uh, I'm going to feel better. I Honestly, I'm going to feel better. Because the pandemic has been interesting. The way that people, you know, it's like, um, you know, back when I lived in the city, you know, when you get in these ruckuses, they, you know, you'd have a group of friends and then then when you turned around, depending yeah. on what happened, you had less friends around. Yeah. And so I realized, you know, in the city, you know, you, you learned some important lessons about what friendship really is. Well, during the pandemic, we learned a lot about our membership base. Yes. And so uh, I want to have I want to have members that I like and respect and value what we do. And we'll be there in the tough times, just like we're there for them.
0: Understood. Understood. Do you, do you have any uh, aspirations of um, training or have you trained anyone uh, to get to the Olympics or put anyone on? Oh yeah. We got, to,
1: I, I, I've been fortunate that, you know, I put a lot of men on the U S team for eight years. I had three men on the U S team over the years I've trained and then passed on guys yeah. as well. You gotta be able to pass guys on. So when I decided I wasn't going to coach anymore, the guys I was training, I passed on to amazing athletes and coaches that put them on Olympic teams and national teams. I became the head of the US team rather than the coach. So I worked with the top athletes and then I developed the programs for them. So I had, you know, I had, so cool. I don't know, some ridiculous amount of national champions and state champions. Um, there was a point when I was back on the East coast where literally every buddy that came through that state was from our school. So we went and won everything everywhere all the time. There, um, nice. And that's cyclical. That's just life. Right. but. These days, I think it's, and it's kind of the thing I'll have to reconcile with. I decided I was going to help more people and pass more information on to more people. And what I'm saying now is directly the opposite. I'm going to help less people, but with more information. Understood. So I still may do some bigger efforts as far as um, information. I'm going to do smaller models. And quite frankly, I'm not really I don't really care to put anybody on an Olympic team right now because I think the Olympic sport
0: is in disarray. Interesting. Can you speak more to that? I mean, without I mean, as far as you want to speak on it, what is it about the Olympics, the way Taekwondo is done in the Olympics and now that's different? I'd like I've been curious myself. So
1: I was on the I was on the education committee and the technical committee for the World Taekwondo Federation, and I created the new rule set because the Koreans were just punishing people. They spent time learning how to give warnings as opposed to reward points so i pointed out to them that in basketball they only have a foul right, right? and you got dribble fouls and stuff like that right. but when they want people to shoot further away from the basket they give them more points for it so you get three points right for a three point two points for the other shot and then one point for a foul shot right. so why don't we do that in taekwondo so let's reward the difficulty of the technique as opposed to punishing whether a guy grabs or pushes encourage performance rather than punishing bad behavior and you'll get better results so we did that but then they created an electronic chest protector that doesn't function and it was to try to correct the referees so you had referees that were terrible cheated lied couldn't judge were too old to understand the game or never played the game so when you put electronic chest protector on it doesn't know the difference between an actual technique or right. just a touch
0: right with, with
1: anything so they were gaming the system. So now they refuse to get rid of the electronics. So you have a really terrible game of tag, which is horrible to watch, horrible to do, and worse than point some bad point karate. Right. So it's hard, difficult, if impossible, to enjoy watching it. Nobody watches it. They bastardized what our original rule reforms were. And until this current group is gone or Taekwondo is removed from the Olympics, it's just not going to be worth spending energy to try to get guys to do bad taekwondo originally we had to teach traditional taekwondo we had to teach what was olympic taekwondo at that point right and then you had to teach self-defense now you have to teach all three of those plus what to do to win in a tournament right and quite frankly what you're trying to do in a tournament if you ever watch it it's horrible it's it's not taekwondo and it's um it's not worth teaching it's not worth doing and so i it's difficult for me to get to tell any athlete they should practice this version of it right right because it's not practical when i did taekwondo at the olympics the same techniques i could use at the games yeah i could use in the street and hurt somebody yep, no one of these guys who do olympic taekwondo try to hurt somebody they hurt themselves
0: yeah that is true you know, and it's
1: unfortunate because they're good athletes
0: but they've never been tested you know i, I haven't watched it i haven't watched the type. don't watch it I haven't watched it in forever. I can't remember the last time. It may have Yeah. Been. Don't,
1: don't, nobody watches it. Nobody that does Taekwondo can watch it.
0: It oh, hurts yeah. your eyes, make your no, eyes bleed. Do you think you're going to um ever see your time, your era, your, your, I guess the, the way you did Taekwondo resurface and come back, is there a chance that that, that style or, or methodology can come back um, and the way you did things? I mean, I, I saw guys helmets fly off uh, when you were doing reverse turning kicks and, Um, I I think
1: what's got to happen is the Taekwondo has to leave the Olympics. So if Taekwondo were to be thrown out of the Olympics, then I think you might get um, back to it. I think that the current group of Korean nationalistic domination of the sport by Cho and his group has to leave. So until that's corrected, it won't happen. You know, guys like me, you know, and this is going to be sound selfish. I could care less whether Taekwondo stays in the Olympics or goes to the Olympics they've made it so impossible for an athlete a young kid now to try to make an olympic team spot has to travel the entire year to go to various opens to collect points and win so if he can collect all those points and wins he gets to automatically be one of the top six he goes to the olympics otherwise he has to qualify the country and then the country makes a choice so for this next olympic we don't have a single man not one wow. for the first time in the history Wow. We don't have a man competing at the games, right? So it's embarrassing as a country. It's embarrassing as an organization that we couldn't even qualify one man. But how do you tell a kid when you're telling a kid education is valuable, this is valuable? How do you tell them to then take off four, five, six, eight years of their education to go travel around the world to chase, chase a dream that they may not be able to even score to achieve yeah. And they're not necessarily the best guy wins. Right. So it's not like the guy who actually – Taekwondo is a full-contact martial art that was supposed to be, if you hit somebody, if they didn't have a chest protector on, they would they not make it through. Right. Well, what's happening in UFC? Those guys don't wear anything, and they're surviving. Right. So to be honest, we should lose the chest protector in Taekwondo. And then second, they need to go back to a power-based martial art as a warfare system of guys getting hurt. In other words, it's a physical sport. In boxing, you punch guys.
0: Yep. Can't to play hurt them. boxing. Can't play yeah, It's
1: not you can outpoint them, but if you can knock them out, you knock them out. And that's the same that Taekwondo needs to go back to. Right. Now, if it's not doing it at that level, then we're no different than any other game. We may as well be fencing.
0: Right. You know, play tag with electronic swords. Gotcha. Is there anything that you um in closing, I guess, want to impart uh, yeah. uh, to anybody as you as uh, sort of <clears throat> Sort of, we've gone through sort of your whole life, um, seemingly within an hour and a half. But uh, is there anything you want to leave, uh, friend, that you want to say to toward anyone, I guess, that's going through a tough time in the pandemic? That's a martial artist and also practicing or struggling to practice from home. Um, that's finding difficulty. I, f- I feel like personally, um, I feel like 2020, even though obviously it was horrible for a lot of people, I found like a breakthrough. I broke through a plateau, broke through a wall in terms of my martial arts capability mentally, it was really, like you said, I vibe with you on that, it was a test. And I feel like I got through that test of like, okay, this is, like, I'm one of the lifers now. Like, if I can get through this, I can take care of anything else from here on out. Um, and obviously I'm a father, I have children. So, you know, I'm a husband as well. So I'm trying to be right. the best that can be for everybody. But there are people that are stuck at home that are single, you know, quite frankly. And, and you know, just don't have anyone to practice with or are struggling to kind of do it solo. Is there anything you want to impart to anyone watching?
1: So, I think this is an amazing time to do self development of individual techniques that you need to develop. So, you know, one of the foundations of my success was my ability to do footwork from the most basic position. So, in general, everything from martial arts starts from the floor, your ability to control distance or move without a telegraph. So, what I tell people, and my son plays soccer and other sports. So I tell them this is a great time to work on all those skills that individually you can only work on. So the amount of discipline it takes to discipline yourself, to work on those individual things that you normally don't have enough time for because you're in game or competition mode or team practice mode, this is the best time. So if I were a young martial artist at home, I would be looking in the mirror to see how my technique is being delivered. Am I telegraphing my technique? And I would be building my speed my accuracy and my understanding of how technique works. It's a great time to build your strategy by watching good or great fighters fight and try to figure out why they did what they did as opposed to what they did. Everybody watches technical now for the wow factor. They don't watch it for the, how did that end up working Ah. setup or the strategy. Second, the discipline that you employ now the ability to get out of bed and actually get something done will serve you in many arenas, not just Taekwondo, but in life and business and school and whatever. So don't lose that fact. Remember that that's actually more important than anything else. So if you can practice, you know, by yourself on a bag, in the air, on a wall and fix technique, you'll be better when you come out of the other side. If you went into the tunnel dark and you stayed in the tunnel and did nothing, when you come out, it'll still be dark if you did the work in the tunnel waiting to see the light of day and you come out the tunnel then you'll be able to hit the ground running when others can't so you know go back to the soccer analogy my kid's soccer team is practicing they're not competing but they're working on skills drills and staying physically fit well they're going to be ahead of the game when the when the game when the game comes back at whatever point that is and it's the same thing for martial artists the skills that you learn in inter intellectually and inter in in yourself internally um intrinsically will be better and they will have an extrinsic effect upon the world but that discipline this is the one time that you really are forced to do it most times a guy shows up to the gym nobody's there he goes home well nobody's in the gym every day now so you better do some work right because you don't really have a choice so use that use that alone time you know Especially, you know, and if you do, then you'll be better for the experience because most people can't be by themselves. They don't know how to be alone. They're afraid to be alone because they don't like what they see when they look in the mirror. So, this is an amazing time to really truly appreciate that alone moment and get better and really enjoy that. So, you know, what I try to get people to stop doing in closing is stop talking about what you lost, start talking about what you gained from this. The amazing amount of time you have with yourself, your family, your kids, the freedom to not have to focus on all this extraneous stuff and extraneous stuff. And then really what you're learning now is what matters. In other words, if before the pandemic, you were a social influencer, you might want to go get a real job. Right. You know, if you can build a fire and fix a car or, you know, do something of meaning, you're going to have a career when this is all said and done in life. So Treat the world like it's a nuclear apocalypse and get the skills you need to survive that, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, wondering whether your your shoes match your 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 sweatshirt.
0: Yeah. It is fascinating though, right? Like the, what me and you are what me and you share, obviously on completely different levels, but you know, being able to teach my kids I have like a mobile right. office. I can teach, I just need a backpack and I can go anywhere and teach, you know, my son how to how to buy. And I do Taekwondo, but I'm teaching him, you know, people. Are trying to ask me like, how do you know how to box? Well, it's some sort of a similar concept. It's striking, right. you know. So there's distance management, all those things. Obviously, I don't, you know, just, just necessarily disclose, but I think it's fascinating to watch um, how a lot of parents, and not necessarily um, with any fault on their part, um, don't necessarily know how to engage their kids in physical activity, even though they stress it. And right. at my house, I know it's oh, it's always important to me. Um, it's, I'm just a, you know, consummate uh, athlete. Um, so mentally and physically, but it's really. Parents don't, parents don't remember that their kids will be them. So yeah, if
1: your kids see yeah. you doing what you do and you value it, yeah, then they will value it and they'll learn to respect it. My parents didn't exercise. You know, my father was a tough guy, but he was a tough guy for a different reason. My mother never exercised, but I came to want to exercise for a bunch of reasons. My kids have two very visible um examples my wife and i both exercise and and, uh, teach and do a bunch of stuff so nice um you have to be the person you want your child to be so we value education my wife and i are well educated we value career my wife's a doctor i'm a lawyer we value how we treat people so we surround ourselves with people we like and treat them well we value hard work so they see us every day go to work and work hard And the same thing goes with physical fitness. My wife gets up every morning, does her work out in the gym here in our garage, then goes at night and does another workout at night, and the kids see that. We take the kids on – my son does and daughter do various sports. They have various coaching throughout the the week, and then we do family bike rides every weekend. Um, So their life is a combination of physical, intellectual – and academic pursuits and then artistic my son you know this is a music room full of music stuff yep. he plays drums and trumpet I see. my daughter plays piano I play everything else um, <laughs> and so they have music and my daughter is an artist so she loves art Dude. so we try to do all those things that we think matter that I think right now are not happening in the schools right and I think that schools would be better served with it
0: Absolutely. Is there? Uh, let people know where, we, where where they can find you, where we can find you. Even though you're on the West Coast for right now, it seems like there's maybe a glimmer of hope. You may.
1: you be playing um, with my lights here, right? I'm doing like
0: a light show. I now. see it over there, sir. I'm, I'm, like I'm going
1: I'm, crazy. I want cool. people going. Oh, you gotta get like warm. <laughs> get people to strobe. I'll try to warm my face up now. I'm pink.
0: go
1: <laughs> a little lighter. So the um, you know, it's easy to find us. Our latest uh, thing you'll be able to see is peak performance. US, which is uh, peakperformanceus.com. That's where you can kind of get a feel for what our next endeavor is. Um, you can see us also. Um, we have, I have some platforms that I give to people for free. So one of my programs, if you send me an email, um, I'm not hard to find. I'll send you a version of the program we do for free. We have a Black Belt preparation program used for our schools now and um, as well, we'll share with you. We like to share our knowledge with others. So, um, well, thank you. It's a lot of stuff that they can they can do. As more stuff becomes available, I'll let you know.
0: Absolutely, all right sounds good. Everybody heard that from again, Grandmaster Herb Perez. It's been Mr. Really, guy. Truly, truly a pleasure. Truly, a pleasure, pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for cut for having you on. This is again. This is the fourth episode of the Mastery Podcast. Master Chris Malarkey, thank you. Grandmaster Herb Perez, the legend, the Olympic gold medalist from 1992, live coming at you from the Mastery Podcast here. Thank you so much again, sir. Guys, take care and salute. All right.